Hey friend, tens of thousands of people receive hope through their headphones each week by listening to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. But we know as well as most people that healing doesn't happen simply by listening to inspiring stories. In fact, you have to engage in deeper relational community with like-minded people who are also struggling through the journey. And you have to apply the practical tools and truths that you're learning from those who have gone before you. I mean, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, those who listen to my words and put them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms will come, but the, but the house won't fall. It's information plus application that leads to transformation, which is why we've created the Nothing is Wasted Community Plus platform, an ecosystem of content that you can consume through the power of targeted community. Never again will you have to say that no one understands what you're going through because through Community Plus, we're bringing you both the people who quote unquote get it and the content that will help you journey through it. For just $20 a month or $200 a year with your Community Plus membership, you'll receive access to our extensive library of bonus content, including bonus podcast episodes and on-demand mini courses, access to all of our curated pathways in their entirety, on-demand replay access to all exclusive events, masterclasses, live coaching, webinars, immediate access to the Position for Redemption mini course, which is normally $97, discounts on all Nothing Is Wasted products, events, and coaching. And if you choose the annual plan, you get two months for free. Now, here's the deal. What's even better is that since Nothing Is Wasted Ministries is a nonprofit organization, Community Plus membership is tax deductible. That's right. We'll send you a statement at the end of the year, and you can report that on your taxes. I believe Community Plus will be such a helpful tool for you in your pain-to-purpose journey that I want to give you a seven-day trial for free by signing up today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus. If you're ready to partner with God to take back your story, get the resources you need to help along the way. Through encouragement and practical steps, the Community Plus platform is what you are looking for in navigating your pain-to-purpose journey. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash community plus and sign up now and join others who are finding hope and healing. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn. And once again, Aubrey will not be joining us. Uh, she's taking a little bit of time off. I know I've talked to you guys about this. She's just recently lost her best friend um, in a battle with cancer. And so she's taking some time to grieve and lament and just slow down the pace of life so she can have that space. And so continue to support her, reach out to her. I know that she's been very encouraged by those text messages and DMs and everything that you guys are doing. So just keep lifting up her family and Jen's family during this season. Um, I wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to hear from some other voices in the Nothing Is Wasted community. So I brought a special guest on, Carissa Sprinkle. Carissa, hello, hello. it's great to have you. Thanks for joining me on yes. this. Yes, thanks for asking. It's always Carissa, fun to get to join. Carissa is now a certified coach. You've been a part of the Nothing Is Wasted community for a while as kind of a community group leader when we were doing community groups and 
you know, obviously you and Cameron shared your story and you've done a couple of other things with us and co-hosted a few times. But now your main focus in Nothing Is Wasted as well as outside of Nothing Is Wasted is coaching. It is. It's turned into this whole big thing, but it's been very much just sort of a confirmation of God's continued calling on my life. What what good, what purpose he's bringing out of my pain, my story. And honestly, I, you, I probably have your wife to thank for that because we had brunch one day mm. and I was like, this training's coming up. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not sure. And basically we processed it all out and I kind of, it it turned it all around to where I was like, okay, I don't really have anything to lose. I'm going to go for it and see what happens. And it's actually just continued to birth new things. Oh, that's cool. And so it's been a really, really amazing journey. That's awesome. Well, Cameron and Chris are, in, we're all, we're all in small group together. And so we get the chance to hang out at least once a week, often more than just that. Yes. But it's really cool to see the journey that God's been taking you on. And I've watched you come alive as you have mm-hmm. been, I don't want to say discovering, but even like more digging into on a deeper level, like the purposes that God has out of the painful journey that you guys have walked through. And now you're helping so many people and um, it's fun to see. It's really, it's really just a cool thing to see. We're going to talk some more about that after this interview today, Carissa, we have an incredible interview. I know you've listened to this. Yeah, it was so Um, David Thomas, what an unbelievable, unbelievable conversation. Um, Carissa, I'd love to hear like, you know, from you, what, when you, when I reached out to you and said, Hey, would you come and help us do a couple of things while Aubrey is, you know, in the interim while Aubrey's taking some time and I sent you this conversation, I'm sure you and I talk, we talk a lot about trauma. We talk a lot about Mm -hmm. kids. We talk, I'm sure this impacted you in significant ways, uh, as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And then we can talk some more on the back end for sure. Yeah, it was so good. I think that parenting is so hard just just as it is, but when you involve any kind of trauma um, and even just some of the things that we've had to walk through of just navigating how do we recover from our own trials and how do we recover mm. from even the the wiring that we had growing up and just right. the way this impacts our kids. I feel like he touched on that so well, just yeah. what that looks like to work through your own story so that you can hold their story. And so, yeah. yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot of which is so here. complicated, isn't it? it? Is. Okay, it we'll is. talk more about it on the back end. I want to introduce you to David. David's the director of family counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. You might be like, I've heard of that. Maybe potentially, probably one of the most prolific counselors that you've heard come out of that ministry or is the founder of that ministry, and that's Sissy Goff. So David is one of the counselors there as well. He's the co-author of ten books, including the best-selling uh, Wild Things: The Art of Nurturing Boys. And Are My Kids on Track? The 12 Emotional, Social, and Spiritual Milestones Your Child Needs to Reach, as well as his two latest titles that we're talking a little bit about in this conversation, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys and Strong and Smart, A Boy's Guide to Building Healthy Emotions. Now, he definitely talks quite a bit about raising boys. I don't think it's just specific to raising boys. The things he's going to talk about in this conversation broaden beyond that, boys and girls. But I really connected with it because I've got two boys and and one of my boys has absolutely been impacted by mm-hmm. trauma by the by the loss of his mom and so um this was a very meaningful conversation for me uh you we'll put some stuff in the show notes on where you can get connected with David Thomas but Chris I'm excited I'm excited for our community it's here so for this good. conversation it's so good yeah it's going to be amazing I you guys can't wait to kind of unpack that 
Well, David, it's so great to have you joining me on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, it is an honor to spend time with you. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm so excited for our community to hear from you. And, you know, a couple of days ago when I was digging into some of your materials, some of the things that you do, one, our content producer was just ecstatic about having you on. She was just thrilled. And so I'm like, well, what's the big deal? Let me look at this. And then I started reading it and I started realizing this is probably going to be more of a counseling session for me than for anybody else. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you're listening to this, you're just privy to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> some really good insight that I'm going to glean personally. And I know you're going to glean We can go well. any direction and we so, need to. David, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're from, and then we'll we'll just kind of dive into some of the questions I'd love to ask you. Love to. So I am first and foremost a proud son, husband and father of three kids, and also am a therapist. I've been practicing for the past 25 years at this amazing place here in Nashville, Tennessee called Daystar Counseling. And we're a bit unique in that we just serve the pediatric population. Our whole focus Mm. is kids, adolescents, and families. So we're actually in a house rather than an office building. Mm. Um, which is a very intentional decision because if if any parent listening has ever taken a kid you love to counseling, if you've ever gone yourself, you know it can be an overwhelming experience that first time. Yeah. And so we do as much as we can to try to make it disarming and help kids feel safe when they walk through the front doors of our house. We also have five therapy dogs on staff, which are hands mm. down kids' favorite therapists. We're all very aware we're low in the pecking order in terms of being kids' <laughs> favorites, and we're fine with that. So that gives you, exactly, you can't compete with the dogs. That's right. And that gives you a snapshot, just a brief snapshot of how we do the work we do really differently. Mm -hmm. And I work with this incredible team of folks that I learned so much from on a daily basis and have for decades now sat with some amazing families who are walking out some unbelievably hard circumstances that I've learned so much from. And so out of that learning getting to write some books and travel around the country and teach to parents what I'm learning, like the best Mm. stuff I'm learning from sitting front row with kids and families daily. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that privilege and and the privilege of getting to talk with amazing folks like you, where we can just come together in conversation and talk about what it looks like to serve and support the kids we love. Because in 25 years of doing this work, Debbie, I mean, I, I don't think it's ever been a harder time to be a kid. It's never been a hard yeah. time to be a teenager. It's certainly never been a harder time to be a parent. Yeah. And so anything I can do to champion and and encourage parents, I, I want to be about. So thank you for inviting mm-hmm. me to talk about this these important things today. Wow. Wow. Well, we're honored. You know, um, a lot of our a lot of our community, they've walked through a lot of tragedy and, and trauma themselves. And um Many of them are trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together in their own life, figure out how to sort through grief, uh, loss, childhood trauma, things they're realizing that they've suppressed for years and years and years themselves. And they're kind of coming to the realization that their, their kids are living in the fallout of that. And, um, and, and some of them, their kids have been directly impacted by it, right? And so they're trying to figure out how do I, how do I process my own pain while helping my child or my children process theirs as well. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like I even have the emotional capacity to be able to do so. What, what would you say in terms of where, where do we start with that? Um, yeah. You know, what, how do I begin to just even create a space to be able to, to be able to, you know, foster that in any way? 
You know, I would first say this. Research has long told us, and this is certainly aligns with my experience, that kids learn more from observation than information. They learn way more mm. from watching us than anything else. And so I have long believed, I will always believe that one of the greatest gifts that we can give the kids we love is doing our own work as parents. So that when they're watching wow. us, when they're sitting front row to the folks they trust the most in this world, they're seeing parents who are working to be the healthiest version of themselves they can, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, on every level. And, you know, I would I would challenge any parent listening to even think about your own story, because I think if we've not thought enough about our own story, it's really difficult to walk with kids mm. in their story because we will end up yeah. inevitably, you know, Richard Rohr's famous saying of whatever we don't transform, we'll transfer. And so mm. that is the beginning point, I believe, for every one of us, myself included as parents. And out of that place, kids get to watch and observe and learn what it means to be a human being in this world, what it means yeah. to be a person who struggles emotionally, what it means to be a person who intersects with loss, which will be a part of Every one of our stories, none of us are exempt from that. And so to the degree that we can do those things ourselves, kids get an opportunity to see what that looks like. And mm. I wrote a, a new book recently called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. And in the introduction of that book, I, I talk about how we can only take the kids we love as far as we've gone ourselves. Like mm. to the degree that we know our own stories, then we can walk with them in theirs. And then I'm not assigning them part of my story. You know, I can be present with them differently. And Certainly when I intersect with tragedy, I hopefully have tools in place for myself that allow me to be present with my kids as opposed to wow. I'm so overwhelmed by my own emotion and I don't know what to do with it. But I, I simply would say, lastly, in my experience, a lot of parents today grew up in homes, and, and this is not a criticism of our parents, it's just a, a reality of the, the world they grew up in where you know we just didn't talk about emotions a lot. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of keeping secrets and there was yeah. a lot of believing. I think we've long believed that if we don't talk to kids about hard things, then they're not experiencing them in any way. <laughs> and the reality mm. being, if we don't talk to kids about hard things, they are experiencing them and then they're alone with them as wow. opposed to figuring out what does it look like to have age appropriate conversations with kids to acknowledge what's there, what's happening within our families, what's happening within the world, and in yeah. age-appropriate ways so that kids feel prepared. I'd even give one practical example in saying, I think many of us grew up believing that it would be a very bad idea if we were in marital counseling ourselves to talk with kids mm -hmm. about that because it would make them feel like, uh-oh, there's something wrong with my parents' marriage. We believe the opposite. Like, if you're in mm -hmm. marital counseling, that's a great and healthy and helpful thing for kids to know. Right. Like, Mom and I, dad and I meet with someone who helps us be the best husband and wife we can be, who helps us figure wow. things out when we get stuck. And I can't tell you the safety I have experienced working with kids that that offers them. I've even had kids say to me, hey, will you tell my mom and dad to meet with their person? And it's this <laughs> sense of, I'm so glad there's a third party involved who yep. can help my mom and dad when I notice they're having a hard time. So wow. I'd encourage parents to go the opposite direction. You know, be very vocal about that. Talk about when you've had conversations with friends, with pastors, mm. with trusted, you know, mentors in your own life in ways that I think a model for kids. This is what it looks like to be a grown up in this world, to live in a healthy way and what it looks like to ask for help. Yeah. Because we all need wow. it. Wow. Wow. That's so good. You know, I think one of the things that inhibits us a lot of times as parents 
in, in, in recognizing maybe what our kids are going through is just a, a general sense of awareness or, or attunement to them, you know, where, whether it's busyness or whether it's like, again, just being so bogged down with trying to do our own self work that it's really, it's really difficult to, you know, be intentional about leaning into those situations with our kids. Um, and so what will often happen, at least what I've discovered happens with me because my MO tends to be busyness. And then all of a sudden my kids ask a question that seems a little off. Right. And it's like, wait a minute, where did that come from? And that sometimes that question might even trigger me, you know, yes. this, this morning, I'll, I'll give this to you anecdotally. Okay. This morning I'm driving the kids to school and Weston, my son, who he's eight years old now, he was 15 months old when my, my wife was killed and she was, she was you know shot and, and killed. Um, he asked a random question about a bullet and gun. He said, how does a bullet work? Can you see a bullet when it comes out of a gun? And man, David, that question stopped me in my tracks. Like if I hadn't been driving the car, I would have just been, and I kind of panicked. I'm freaked out. I'm like, how do I answer this question? <laughs> you know, because I kind of feel like I know what's underneath this question, but I also want to, yes. I want to invite it in a way that's age appropriate, you know? So I don't know if you have any kind of Maybe this is just advice for me, but as as those things begin to kind of crop up, because it seems like they will as they get older, you know, as they kind of move into different seasons of life, can you give us a little bit of like framework for how do we help kids process through difficult things mm -hmm. that they've experienced or that they're wrestling through? Yeah. First thing I would say in terms of a framework is let's always follow kids' lead. Because I believe, mm. we believe as a practice that kids have an internal barometer that cues them to what they can handle. So they won't mm. ask questions that are connected to answers they can't work with has been our consistent experience. So when they're leading with a question, it can give parents a sense of safety of, okay, I can step into this conversation again in an age appropriate way. That's going to look different with an eight-year-old yeah. and an 18-year-old knowing that they're needing something and kids are going to need different things in different stages of development as we all know but even as they navigate loss they're going to need more information as they go forward in their own journeys and can work with more the mistake i think we make as parents is that we'll follow their lead answer question and then sometimes give them more information than they're asking for mm. and it it fascinates me all the way kids will cue us to that you know i have heard parents say you know their kids are like holding their ears and say, can we be done talking now? Or my ears are hurting, you know, all the ways that I think kids cue us to. I was wow. asking for just this much information and now you're yeah. giving me this much information and that's more than wow. I can work with. So that's I think there's a really lot of good, wisdom David. in following their lead. I really do. And the that's, other thing wow. I'd say to that is we want to answer in concrete ways. So for mm. every parent listening, if your kids are 12 and under, in terms of their cognitive development, they're in what we call concrete thinking. So yeah. research would tell us we don't begin developing abstract thinking where we can see the grays of the world mm -hmm. until adolescence. Girls develop it earlier, boys a little bit later. So even as adolescents are beginning to develop abstract thinking, they still have one foot firmly planted in concrete thinking. So we want to use a lot of concrete language. So a, a practical example would be this. When we meet with families who are divorcing. It's common that parents who are divorcing might say things like, we grew apart. Well, that's abstract language. That's not helpful to kids. In fact, it can trigger mm. some anxiety where kids think, wait, if you grew apart, could we grow apart too? Wow. Yeah. You know, as opposed to using more concrete language like, you know what? Our marriage is broken. 
And kids understand that concept. Like sometimes I knock a lamp over and it breaks and it can't be repaired. Sometimes I knock a lamp over and it doesn't break and it's okay. Sometimes the lamp can be fixed with help. Sometimes it can. So think about all the conversations we have with kids where we could use as much concrete language. You know, so for example, when we talk with kids about death, we can tend to want to stay away from some of the hard realities. And in doing so, again, good intentions, we can make it more confusing. Mm. So for example, we say things like, he then just went to sleep, as opposed to saying, using concrete language, like his heart stopped beating. And when his heart stopped beating, he stopped breathing. And then when he stopped breathing, what that meant when he opened his eyes next, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we can say, he opened his eyes and the next person he saw was Jesus. So you see these concrete things I'm describing and the heart stopped beating, the eyes opening. And so I just would encourage any parent listening Think about age-appropriate ways that we can use a lot of concrete language and then follow their lead. That would be kind of a beginning point of a framework I would want to encourage parents with. Wow. Hey, friend, I want to share with you one of my absolute favorite resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. It's the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional. This devotional is a beautiful 42-day journey through life's valleys with biblically-based encouragement to help you or someone you love navigate the difficulties of life. Each week, you'll learn from the journey of a major character in Scripture and be able to reflect on how that impacts your own story and whatever you're facing. From Job to David, Ruth to Jesus himself, you'll see how God has taken the most dire of circumstances and brought healing and redemption from the ashes. This devotional makes a great gift for the person who is walking through a recent loss or trauma or who carries the wounds from pain in their past. It's something that you can keep on hand to give to someone who is experiencing any kind of pain point, and it's a great addition to your daily time with the Lord. For just $25, you can get one for yourself or gift it to a friend. For our Nothing Is Wasted podcast listeners, we want to offer you 20% off your entire order of the devotional, whether it's one or whether it's 20 using the coupon code PODCAST. Again, 20% off your entire order of devotionals using the coupon code PODCAST. Grab a copy today of the Pain to Purpose 42-Day Devotional at nothingiswasted.com slash devo, D-E-V-O, nothingiswasted.com slash devo. Be encouraged by it yourself or encourage someone else in their journey through life's valleys. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash devo. That is, I mean, that is amazing. It seems so simple, right? But it, it's paradigm shifting for many of us, right? Because pain and talking about those things are already uncomfortable for us. And then when we're wading mm-hmm. through the the waters of trying to figure out how to, you know, distill that to our kids, that can be extremely uncomfortable. And Absolutely. so just remembering to have concrete language, especially under the age of 12 and not overshare I mean, that's powerful. I think that that is extremely helpful, extremely helpful, David. You know, let's let's talk about that a little bit in the development stages, you know, because sometimes I've found with our kids that, you know, particularly my my eight-year-old son, he seems to have, you know, there's some some areas of development that he's slower in. And I'm wondering, you know, I've heard that that's pretty common when it comes to experiencing trauma. Um, From what I understand about his trauma, 
his would not would not necessarily be the event of even though he was in his crib the whole time he uh, from what we understand he was you know untouched or he didn't see anything you know but it was the aftermath right it was the losing his primary caregiver all of the crazy transition the disruption of his schedule and stuff and 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 the attachment from his mom years following that has created that trauma okay so I guess my question is, is what, what are some developmental things that maybe could clue us in before our kids can speak up and say, hey, or ask a question, you know, like what are some things that maybe early on can help us to go, okay, we might be seeing some things that we need to just pay attention to here. Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say first off, and, and this really is true, I think for kids from toddlers to teenagers that all behavior is communication. All behavior is communication. Kids are okay. always telling us something, even when they can't use their words. And so, you know, first question I would want to encourage parents to be asking, you know, in even the hardest moments where we're seeing a lot of, you know, yeah. what looks like just noncompliance or disobedience, you know, being able to ask within our response, like, I wonder what else is going on. Mm. I think about even, you know, the the book years ago that uh, a couple of years ago that Oprah released where she wonderfully helped culturally us ask a different question. Like we saw people struggling instead of asking the question, I think we instinctively ask of what's wrong with you. What if we were to ask what happened to you? And I, I love Mm. that shifting of mindset that I think we could bring into the context of parenting of when we see kids struggling, as opposed to just thinking, I want to address that behavior, wondering, wonder what's happening underneath that behavior. Wonder what else I need to know that they're cueing me to. And so For example, we know with young children navigating loss, we are very likely to see at least some evidence of regression. So, for Mm -hmm. example, kids who were successfully sleeping on their own through the night are all of a sudden waking up or throwing a lot of fits at bedtime because they're scared Mm -hmm. to be alone in their room. Of course they are, particularly if you've lost someone in in an unexpected and tragic way that you would have more fears at nighttime when the lights go out and you're alone in your room. or kids who've successfully potty trained who start to regress and are having accents at that point because they're carrying more emotion. So they're not paying as much attention to reading the signs and signals their body's giving them when I need to hit pause and go relieve myself. All these different ways that we could see regression. Kids who've been more successful in relational experiences all of a sudden are just losing it when someone takes a toy from them. So Mm. again, rather than just addressing the behavior, how could I ask the question of what's underneath behavior? What else might be in play that I need to pay attention to that I think allows us to approach kids differently. You know, I would even say that to be true outside of the experience of loss and trauma for kids and adolescents. Like every developmental theorist would say, every, not most, that 13 to 15 is what we describe as the worst episode of a person's Hmm. life. Like there's never another stretch of development where any of us felt more insecure, more unsure of ourselves, more uncomfortable in our own skin. So we're going to be incapable of being the best version of ourselves. So asking in different moments when kids are disrespectful, again, not saying we're going to let them off the hook with disrespect. I'm not endorsing that at all. I want us to address it, but also wondering, I wonder what else is going on. I wonder how much Mm. time you spend throughout the day worrying about how people see you, how you look, how you sound, how you're performing athletically, all these things that would make you more irritable, grumpy, disrespectful, isolating, all the things. So, If we were to think that to be true within the normal context of development in a complicated stage of development, how much more should we be thinking about that when our kids are navigating trauma 
carrying more than they've ever carried. Wow. Wow. Whew. That's so good. Have you noticed, I mean, is there a, is there a difference between how genders d- different, you know, uh, male, female, how they're going to respond in these situations or their progression yes. of development or the progression of healing or any differences yes. there? Some significant differences. And, you know, think back to those early pediatric visits when yeah. pediatricians at 12, 18, 24 months are going to be asking us as parents, you know, questions like how many words is he saying? How many words is she saying? What the research would tell us is that girls are often saying two to three times the number of words that boys are in those early mm-hmm. visits. Now, there are certainly exceptions to that rule. Some boys who are talking more, some girls who are talking less, but generally speaking, if her general vocabulary is larger, which it often is, understandably, her emotional vocabulary would be larger. So mm. in my new book, I talk a lot about we're going to have to labor longer and harder with boys to develop an expansive emotional vocabulary. So wow. that will simply mean to your great question, he will inevitably likely have a harder time talking about his experience, talking about his feelings, talking about his worries. And so generally speaking, we're going to see girls articulating a bit more of their experience and asking for help. It fascinates Mm. me how early I think boys begin moving toward suppression and self-reliance. And then culturally, I think we encourage it with men. Like we celebrate men's independence, not needing anybody, you know, got the world by the tail. And so we're going to have to do a lot to move against those cultural messages that teach boys. It is a good and healthy way to live in this world when I acknowledge how I feel and I ask for help because we all do. So because those things are in play I think it makes the experience look way different. And generally speaking, you know, for example, when we look at the research around anxiety, we talk a lot about two presentations when kids are feeling anxious. There is what we call a classic imploder, which I think tends to be more girls more often. There's certainly some firstborn boys that fit this, but it's kids who turn the anxiety inward and they become more perfectionistic and pleasing and performing externally. Then there are what we call classic exploders and they turn it outward. So those are kids who are okay. acting out in different places. And I'd argue, generally speaking, more girls are going to be imploders, more boys are going to be ac- exploders. Again, exceptions okay. to every rule. But it's part of why, though girls are twice as likely to struggle with anxiety, more boys get taken in for help. Mm. Because I think anxious girls in classrooms, for example, they're a teacher's dream. They like, don't they're present like, like that. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're going above and beyond what's required of them. Where anxious right. boys look restless, fidgety, impulsive, sometimes mm. angry and volatile. So the presentation is so different that it's it's honestly easy to miss in both places. We can miss perfectionistic girls and actually even praise them for being, for turning all that wow. anxiety inward. Like, I love when you're going above and beyond. Good for you for making straight A's. You know, missing the fact wow. that. She's trying to manage some internal by performing externally, and we can miss it with boys because we're just addressing the behaviors happening in those spaces as opposed to, again, looking beneath the behaviors to figure out what else could be in play. So anxiety is wow. but one of many things we could talk about that often looks so different, unique to gender, that would make it easy to miss what's really there, which takes us right back to let's change the question. Instead of what's wrong yeah. with you, what yeah. happened to you, what else is going on? All behaviors communication. Wow. You, you, you've brought up a really great point in, in terms of trying to weigh the difference between behavioral issues and things that are going on internally and how those, you know, internal anxieties have are manifesting themselves often in behavior. And I love the question, right? The, okay, what else is going on? What else I wonder is going on? Um, 
one of the biggest things that, you know, my wife and I now we wrestle with, we're constantly, we find ourselves asking the question, is this a normal childhood behavior or is this trauma related? And it's, and it honestly, David, it's kind of frustrating because I'm like, man, there are some parents who their kids have not experienced the level of trauma that our kids have experienced and they can default to, this is, this is behavior that needs to be disciplined, right? Where us, we're like, uh, I don't know. And it causes us to second guess ourselves in virtually everything they do. Is is there any any help that you could, I mean, there's so many people who are listening to this, they've experienced the same thing and they come down heavy handed maybe in a situation where they should have been a little bit more empathetic and entered into, you know, uh, what, how do we navigate that? How do we walk that, yeah. that razor thin line? It feels like, you know, I would say this first, I actually sat with a parent yesterday. We were talking around that very thing. And the mom wisely, wonderfully said to me, you know, I'm worried that I'm over reading at times. I'm worried I'm paying too much attention to trauma and mm. the fact that a lot of this just could be normal. And so I would say one place of support I'd offer in response to your question would be, if you're unsure about that, I think it is a gift to every kid if we just put another set of eyes on the equation that I think allows us to get clarity in what's going on with kids, but also peace of mind for us as parents. And whether that's just consulting with your pediatrician, just saying, hey, I want to ask a few questions unique to this observation. Or in our practice, we do a lot of what we call parent consultations. And it's we do those with parents all over the country by Zoom or by phone. And it's not where parents are bringing kids in, but parents are coming in just themselves, coming to the table to ask questions like, here's what we're seeing. What are your thoughts on that? And yeah. and putting another set of eyes on that, I think, can be so useful, again, for clarity for kids, peace of mind for parents. So I would say that's one thing to tuck away. Secondly, I would say back to what I shared about regression. Every kid is going to regress at some different points. That's normal to development. It's a little bit like two steps forward, three steps back. As long as when we calculate all the steps, there are more steps forward and fewer steps back, that's what we always want to see. But none of us are on a perfect trajectory of only steps forward. You know, it's like right. going to work every day and giving 100%, meeting all my sales goals. You know, like right. we're all going to have off days. And so we're not right. concerned about regression unless it becomes consistent, A, like there's more backwards movement than forwards movement. You know, if we were to go back to, okay, they are sleeping in their bed more nights than they're not. They yeah. are successfully going to the restroom more times than they're having accents. That's not concerning. But if it's like they're having more accents than they're having successes, that's when we're like, okay, that's more backwards movement. Let's let's circle around that. Let's maybe put some seasoned eyes on that. So I would say that equation can be of great importance. In fact, two concrete benchmarks that I think parents could use, you know, whether it's regression in those behaviors, or let's say it's just regression and acting out. As you're layering in support, ask about intensity and frequency. So okay. is the behavior happening more or less? And when it happens, this is the intensity part, on a one to 10 scale, is it always in the eight to 10 space? Or does it seem to sometimes just be, actually, we don't ever get above five sometimes. So that's, those are two good benchmarks I think parents could use as a measuring stick as you're observing That's behaviors good. or observing regression that allows you to track on paper, like literally put some notes down that allow you to look at the bigger picture. Because when we're in the moment, it can sometimes feel like it's happening every day, all the time, all day Correct. long. And it may not right. be. And, and it's just we're exhausted and we're caring a lot. But I would lastly just say to your great question, I think – an equation I talk a lot with parents about 
let's put it in the context of anxiety, for example, that we just talked about. We always want to try to be landing in two places, and the two places would be support and challenge. And we want to be offering equal parts of both. Mm -hmm. So if we're overreading the trauma and only giving kids support but never challenging them, we may be inviting kids to go backwards. If I'm not creating challenge to help them eventually learn to sleep in their own bed, but offering support when I lay down with them at night for a few minutes to pray with them and practice some things that might help them fall asleep a little more successfully. Do you see where I'm hitting both parts in that as opposed to just climbing my bed every night? Well, that's all support with no challenge. And that's not helpful because, you know, we want kids to feel like they could go to sleepaway camp or spend the night or eventually we want them to go to college and there are no (laughs) mother-son dormitories anywhere. So they got to live on their own. And so, Thinking about that long game, we want to always be trying to target supported challenge. And what the research would tell us with anxious kids, for example, is the two biggest parenting mistakes that we can make are escape and avoidance. I see my kids struggling and I want to extract them from the struggle immediately. And what all the anxiety research would tell us, tells us time and time again, is that in order to do the hard thing, To face the hard thing, I've got to do the hard thing. Mm. And the definition that we work with in our practice is that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of myself. So if I, as a parent, am always extracting kids, I'm confirming that definition. I'm saying, yes, the problem, the situation is way too big and you're way too small. So I'm going to pull you out of that. And we want to be sending the opposite message memo to kids of no the problem's not too big and you're not too small wow and i'm here with you and god is with you too so that's where we really want to think about are we moving towards support and challenge or are we moving toward escape and avoidance because we're we're not only not helping kids if it's only escape and avoidance we're actually harming them we're making the situation worse we're confirming that definition wow Dave, can you say that that definition of anxiety again that was that was succinct but powerful and I want to, as I do, give all the credit we use in our practice because my dear friend and colleague, Sissy Goff, wrote what I think is one of the best books out there on girls and anxiety because the stats are so high for girls. She wrote an amazing book called Raising Worry-Free Girls. And that's the mm. definition she put together that we've long used in our practice. It is an overestimation of the problem or situation and an underestimation of themselves. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and think about it, you Man. know. For example, a lot we're here here we are recording right now, you and I on the front side of the school year, and there are thousands of kids out there who are having anxiety about going to school and and right. some kids who are struggling to get out of the car every morning. Not a few tears sobbing uncontrollably. Some are gripping the car door as parents try to pry them out. You know, a lot of fear and worry about going into that context. And, you know, if a parent were to make the decision, and I want to be very clear as I say this to say, okay, fine, we're just going to pull out of school. We're just going to homeschool, which, hear me say very clearly, homeschooling is a great option if chosen for the right reasons. It's not a good option if it's just you're afraid to go to school, so I'm going to pull you out altogether because you see where that would be confirming that definition. School's way too scary. You're not capable. Wow. As opposed to you're capable. It's not too scary. And so – Think on that in all the different contexts where you're seeing kids face worry, come up against fear, experiencing anxiety. That's, that's, that's something that I hope could be helpful as parents are navigating that space. 
powerful. Man, that's so helpful, so helpful. Hey friends, I can't tell you how many times we've had someone write in or message us asking us for a list of the podcast episodes and resources we have on a particular topic or pain point. In fact, just the other day, someone asked me, hey, can you point me to all the episodes you guys have on sexual betrayal? Because unfortunately, this person had just recently discovered that this was now part of their story. We get this question so much that we decided to do something about it to make it easier for you. Rather than wading through our entire library of very inspirational content, if I may say so myself, how about if we just give you a list of everything that we have on a particular topic you're looking for? We've done that, we've built some of these lists, and we call these lists Curated Pathways. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place that will speak directly to what you're experiencing right now or what a friend or a family member is experiencing. We've packaged this in an easy way for you to consume it, you to access this material, or for you to send it over to a friend or family member you know who's experiencing a particular pain point right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, master classes, live coaching, and everything in between. Let's be honest, when you're facing a crisis, a loss, or a trauma, just don't have the time or the energy or emotional bandwidth to search for what could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways, so that you can more directly and quickly access the resources that you need. Now, you can get a taste of what our Curated Pathways are all about by going to nothingiswasted.com pathways. But if you're ready to go to the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire curated pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted Curated Pathways. As a Community Plus member, you'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows and as we release those. Our team has been working very hard to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you, to your friends, to your family, because we know what it's like to face pain, and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus, or get a little taste of our curated pathways at nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. Both of those links are here in the show notes. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. And we're committed to giving you resources that will help you do just that. David, you um, you already mentioned that you know at, at some point it's good to get um, seasoned eyes on the problem, especially if you're beginning to see whether it's like a stagnation or plateau or even a, you know, even further regression, right? We're not taking steps forward. So obviously one of those eyes would be good, a great counselor. A lot of people are asking the question for their kids. When is it time to put my kid in counseling? What kind of counseling should we look for? How do we know when we have found the right counselor for our kids? You know, there are lots of questions surrounding that. What, what would you say? How would you help people understand, okay, this is the kind of counselor that you should be looking for for your kids. This when it's appropriate to look for counseling for your kids. This is, you know, 
how to know you found the right one. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, I do. And, and I would say if you are straddling that decision of do I take kids or do I not, I think it's always a, gay, a, a great, safe place to land to start with a consultation because it may be, and I often do, for example, when I do consultations with parents, I will say, you know what, when they ask, should I bring him in based on everything we've just shared with you? Should I bring her in? I sometimes will say, no, you shouldn't because I want you to try these four things first, or I want you to read this book and do these things, and then let's see what we see and reevaluate. And sometimes I can work myself out of a job. You know, one of the things I mentioned, my dear friend and colleague, Sissy Goff, she wrote a great workbook for elementary age girls with anxiety called Braver, Stronger, Smarter. And Mm. when she asked me to review it, I said to her, Sissy, you are giving away three free months of counseling. Like, this is incredible. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love this. And and both of us are hopeful we'll work ourselves out of a job and with certain kids that the need may not be there if parents take these steps. I wrote a workbook mm-hmm. for elementary age boys called Strong and Smart, and it's a boy's guide to building emotional tools. And so my great hope is that might be enough for a percentage mm-hmm. of kids. Now, if it's not, that's okay. And I'm grateful we yeah. have great resources. And that speaks to the the other part of your great question, which is I would consider contacting um, your pediatrician and say, mm. who are the folks you most trust? Because every pediatrician, particularly in this day and age, particularly since the pandemic, are going to have a list of trusted resources in your community, yeah. folks they've screened and know do really good focus work with the pediatric population. And then I'd also ask, I think children's ministers often have a, a great resource in place because a lot of parents are starting there. And then Maybe look at who falls on both lists. And you certainly want to be working with someone who does have some experience working with kids, because I do think it's a different game. Now, they may also work with adults, and that's great, but I'm concerned about someone who only works with adults, and it's like, well, I don't really see kids, but we could give it a shot. You just, mm. it's a, it's really a different skill set. No different than I say to my friends who do marital work, like that is not my game. I'm sending my yeah. sure way. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> like I know how to do marital work. That wasn't my training. And so yeah. we want to really think on specialty and we also want to think about collaboration. So for example, we meet in our practice every third appointment to come together with parents and share observations. What are you seeing? Let me share what I'm seeing. Let's work together. No difference than parents conference with teachers at different intervals along the way. We want the adults who are caring for kids in the educational space, in the therapeutic space, in the pediatric space to be coming together in conversation and make sure we're sharing notes. We're, you know, talking, not literally sharing notes in my profession, but, you know, having conversation around (laughs) what it looks like to collectively come together and collaborate on behalf of these kids. And so, I do think that's important because we've had some parents come to us who are like, you know, I took my kids to a counselor, but they only met with me every 12 sessions for about five minutes. I just don't feel like I got a lot of input. And I'm always puzzled by that. I don't want to be judging of that, but I'm puzzled by that because I think I'm not sure how you'd offer the best support Mm -hmm. unless you have the full picture. Because, you know, we're talking about anxious kids. One of the things we know that anxious kids can sometimes do, particularly those performing kids, is... They want to so be doing the right thing. They come into counseling and they'll underreport their struggle sometimes or they'll overreport their success. Like they'll say things like, you know what, I got a little bit upset on Tuesday night, but it didn't last for very long. And parents come in and are like, it wasn't a little bit upset. It was a lot upset <laughs> and it lasted a very long time. And we need that full picture to offer the right, full support. Right. Or they'll say, you know, I, I practice every strategy we've been working on. And then parents will say, mm, they did for about, 
60 seconds and then threw in the mm -hmm. towel and just melted down, kind of defaulted to wow. old patterns. And so we need to know that too. You know, all yeah. of that is yeah. part of that collaborative work that gives us full support. So I would say lastly to your question, I think that's key of someone who is going to work collaboratively with parents uh, to make sure communication is running both directions so we can offer that best full support. Well, that's great. That's great. All right. Last question I want to, and I know this, this could open up a can of worms. So I'm, I guess I'm asking for a little bit more of a flyover, but we're all beginning to recognize, uh, and you know, even, even the media itself is beginning to report the effects that technology is having, especially social media having on our kids. Um, I guess my question without I me, mean, we could do an entire, maybe we can convince guys, we can convince David to come back and we can talk some more about this another time. But my question would be, what should we, what should we be aware of when it comes to that? You know, as parents, how, how should we lean into this space? Technology seems to be inevitable on certain fronts, right? We've got to use it. Yes. This is great. It avails us this awesome opportunity, but what, what should we be aware of when it comes to our kids and their mental health? I don't think we can pay too much attention in that space. And I love even the way you asked that question because I do think it feels so overwhelming to us as parents. And I get it. I get it. I'm a parent myself and I understand how overwhelming it is to manage that animal of technology, to use it for its benefits, to keep my kids safe from the harmful parts of it. So I understand where parents can land in a place of just saying, we're never having it. There'll be no screens yeah. in our house. And, right. you know, at the end of the day, I, I liken technology to driving a lot. And so I think mm -hmm. if we're to say that, it's like, you're never getting in a car. The roads aren't safe. Well, we want kids to learn to drive. They need that skill set in yeah. place. So yeah. it's a part of our kid's life. How can we teach them to use it responsibly? Which is, you know, mm -hmm. think even stay with that analogy about driving. You know, in our country, you aren't eligible to get a permit until a certain age. So, you know, there is a reason yeah. most social media platforms have a recommended age of 13 and 14. And that's just the recommendation of starting. You may choose to wait later. But I'm right. shocked by how many parents are giving access at eight or nine. Like we we didn't just grab those numbers out of the air. Like it's too much for young minds. So pay attention to the age recommendations. And then in that driving analogy, in the 15th year of life, we don't just toss keys at kids and say, let me know how it works out. We spend a whole year in the car with them, giving them feedback. You can't drive without an adult present in your 15th year of life with a permit. And then your 16th year, we don't just toss keys at you. We say, okay. I'm going to put Life360 on your phone so I can make sure you're where you're supposed to be, that you arrive safely, or I'm going to have you text me when you get from point A to point B. All these different ways that we are baby-stepping our way toward the mm. big scary thing. And wow. if we could consider treating technology that same way, we're going to give a lot of input, a lot of oversight. When you're on these platforms, I'm going to have your password. All those things that are part of practicing responsibly the same way we practice driving. And then mm -hmm. think on if we were to keep that analogy running forward, when kids blow it, as they often will do with driving and technology, it's like, you know, I'm going to take your keys. You know, I have access to it for a while. Right. And then I'm going to give it back. I'm not taking it forever. I'm going to take it temporarily. And then you're going to have the opportunity to prove you're responsible again. So let's use that same framework as we think about moving into technology, um, preparing kids. Yeah. Not keeping them from it, but preparing them while they're on our watch where we can teach them to use both responsibly. Wow. Wow. David, this entire conversation has been unbelievably helpful. I mean, to me personally, I know to our entire community, we're so grateful for your voice in this space, what you're doing. And, um, you know, uh, you've got a, a new book that is uh, available for pre-order right now. 
right? Strong and Smart, A Boy's Guide to Building Healthy Emotions. Um, amazing. And you've got several other books that you've written you. as well. And, Thank um, you. And we're, we're excited about it. We'll put all of that information, links where people can grab those, those resources on the show notes here. And then where can we, is there a place that you would want people to, if they want to follow you, if they want to find out more about what you're doing or the, or, you know, the practice with Daystar Counseling, where can they go? You could go to raisingboysandgirls.com is our Good. hub and you could find everything there. Our books, our podcast, there's a link to Daystar. Um, if you wanted to do one of the consultations we talked about, it'll walk you through how to do that. So really everything is housed in that space would be the easiest way to find my work. And and Davey, I want to say to you before we end, just how grateful I am you'd invite me into this conversation, mm. how thankful I am for the life-giving work you're doing in this world. I am so mm. grateful. I am so grateful you would choose to steward your story in the way you have and offer this kind of space for people to have these kind of meaningful conversations. So it was my genuine honor. Please hear me mm. say that. Thanks for having me. Man. Man, thank you. This has just been so wonderful having you. We're going to have you back on at some point, David. We have I'd to. Love it. I've got a lot more to learn from you. <laughs> Thanks, man, for joining thank us. Super helpful. I mean, I loved that episode. Just the way he talked was so calming. Yeah. Even for me. Feels he like all counselors are like that, right? So gentle. Yes. I was like, can I like, come oh. see you? Yeah. It was, it was so good. <laughs> we got off the call and I said, do you do virtual? Can we? <laughs> I don't exactly. think I can make it to Nashville every week, but can we do well, something? <laughs> and I think it connects so much because, you know, we're all on our own journeys of, of yeah. just trying to figure out life. And I think that when we have kids, it brings to the surface so much yeah. of what's going on inside of us, how we were raised. So I think there's something about when he talks about these things that it kind of speaks to my own inner child. Yes. Like, oh, you're a safe place. And that yeah. just, that's a good feeling. And especially as an adult who's just, we're, we're all trying to still learn right. and heal and figure out what was wired wrong and right. what needs rewiring and yep. yeah he just painted such a good picture and answered so many good questions yeah. that you had it's it was so good and it becomes it feels like it's so complicated sometimes too like mm -hmm. i can feel overwhelmed to be honest with you when i go okay i've got some stuff that i'm trying to d heal through and deal with you know yeah. and then it, when you're in a marriage you're both trying to do that so it, yeah. there's enough of a layer of complication right there mm -hmm. but then you you're adding kids to the mix and you're going mm -hmm. how do i help them not experience some of the like uh, uh, sideways of sideways effects of what my trauma is bringing into the home and the household, right? How do I yes. protect them from that and also be attuned to that? And it just can get, it can get overwhelming, which is why I'm grateful for someone like a like a David Thomas who is putting resources out there for us, yes. who is able to kind of help us navigate some of those things mm -hmm. because and he man, emphasizes. Sorry, he emphasizes so yeah. well how important it is that you do your own healing work. Yes. And I don't know who said it. I probably heard this from a million people, but the phrase that you repeat what you don't repair. Mm. And that has really stuck with me is this idea of what is it in me that needs repair and how wow. do I wow. continue to move forward in that? And for me, some of the stuff that that came up was, you know, I grew up in a very... Um, small town, conservative Christian, grew up homeschooled, 
And so between sort of some of the beliefs around that, but also then the generational impact of that, I kind of grew up where behavior mattered. It almost mattered more than anything else. Yeah. So just him asking that question, what else is going on mm. as a young child? I don't think that was really a factor necessarily in how I grew up. And so for me, yeah. I think it just became this, this constant strive for almost kind of needing to be perfect and need my, my behaviors needed to be perfect. Yeah. And so now as an adult, the way I'm seeing that play out is almost an inability to be in tune with what I actually feel, what I actually need. Yeah. I'm so in tune with what I should do, what I should say, what I should right. feel. Right. Rather than how do I actually feel? What do I actually need? How can I honor that? Mm. And so then as a mom, if that's not something, you know, I have to get in tune with that within myself so that I can have capacity for her to do that. So right. that her behaviors, I'm not like, ooh, those behaviors, nope, that is not acceptable yeah. Yeah. to have grace, to have capacity for that. So yeah, he just laid that out. to be a so safe well. place. Yeah I, yeah, I struggle with that a lot. I mean, I'm a very much a doer, mm -hmm. very much, you know, my biggest issue right now that I'm getting coaching for and working through is how to create margin. You know, mm, like same. <laughs> how do I create right margin you. where yeah. I'm such a high achieving type personality and highly productive? I want, mm -hmm. I want to be efficient with my time. I want to make sure I'm maximizing time. Right. So it's not a, it's not like a bad thing. It's not. However, it squeezes thing. out some of these soft moments. Yeah. That are really the most critical moments, both with your spouse, your spouse, your kids, Mm -hmm. And with just, you know, everyday relationships. Mm -hmm. And um, that was one of the biggest convictions I felt with him, you know, yeah. as I was having that conversation is going like, man, I don't know how safe of a place I am or safe of a space I am mm -hmm. for my kids because it's just busy, busy, go, go, like yeah. maximize time, this to this, no, no, just, hey, crawl up on dad's knee and yes. let's, let's talk and let's get you know carissa yeah all of a sudden i don't know why i feel very i feel like being very vulnerable but um thank you Please. carissa this is what carissa does. this is why you need to have her coach Let's, you because i hope i'm providing a safe space she for does you right that. now no i texted <laughs> your goal. husband i texted your husband the other day and i said you know i've been i'm really inspired by how much you delight in scarlet mm. delight in your daughter like when cameron talks about scarlet it's yeah. just like he, you see tears come into his eyes and you're just like Oh, he yeah. just loves and enjoys her. And I, I look at that and I go, that's how our Heavenly Father delights in us. Mm -hmm. And there are times that I'm just so busy and so going that sometimes my kids kind of become, you know, a best like a an afterthought, sometimes an inconvenience, sometimes like, come on, get your stuff together. Let's go. Or we got to get out the, the door. Like, look, get in the, yeah, exactly. Yes. And man, like David Thomas coupled with your husband, I was feeling so can I text I texted him. I said, Man, you've inspired me so much. I want to delight in my kids the same mm -hmm. way that you I love delight that. in Scarlet. He is um, very good at that. That's one of the interesting things. He has his own battles with trauma and stuff that he's been overcoming. But I think one thing that I've learned a lot from him is how much he associates um pleasure, joy, delight with his relationship even with the Lord and how much I struggle to associate my relationship with the Lord more with doing and duty mm. and loyalty and 
things that, so this connection to joy that I want Mm. to be able to give my daughter is something I'm still having to kind of discover how to do for myself. Yeah. And I grew up with such a secure home. And that's why I think it's even been hard to understand because I have such a good relationship with my parents. I had such a good memories Mm. of my home. They were so loyal and stable, but in a way that's something that I see most about God is, okay, God, you're loyal, you're stable, yeah. but do you enjoy me? Do you mm. enjoy being with mm. me even when I'm not doing, even wow. when I'm not my most efficient self, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard for, that's something I'm- It's tough for me too. Working on yep. yourself. It's tough for me too. I wow. love that we get to have partners who sort of bring this balance yeah. to oh, yeah. the equation as parents. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true, man. It's such wow, a hard- amazing. One thing that came to my mind, too, was um, as he was talking was this this idea that conditioned adults, conditioned children make for inauthentic adults. And I mm. think that's kind of the heart of what I'm working on now mm. is trying to almost become a more authentic version of myself. Wow. Who's okay with being and not doing so that <laughs> I can offer that to Scarlett. Ooh, that's so in good. In a way that's, yeah, that's so good. that she needs. Man. So, well, either thanks, way, we're David all, for yeah, all this. seriously, <laughs> we're all trying to, you know, break generational cycles in yeah. our own stories and our own families. And we whether we had a great, great upbringing or not, you know, whether we have great heritage or not, we're all, we all have those things that we're trying to say, all right, here's a, here's a line in the sand. Mm. Um, one of those, one of those, one of the ways that we can do that, Carissa, is through coaching. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, you know, as you've been stepping into coaching, just some of your yeah. experience in that. Um, you know, especially some of this additional training that you're doing through this coaching certification program that's above and beyond even pain to purpose certification. Just tell me a little bit about your experience. Yeah. So I, I completed the nothing is wasted, um, training well about a year ago and I've gotten to work with several ladies this past year. That's been super rewarding. Mm -hmm. Our story includes, um, several years of infertility that then led into, um, sexual betrayal and my husband and I, we've been on a journey the last six years of just recovering ourselves, our marriage, our relationships, our community, just so many different things that were impacted by that. Yeah. Um, and this journey of kind of working with even just some of these ladies this last year led to um, me discovering this other training, which is more intentional um, trauma recovery coaching. And I thought, yeah. oh my word, I didn't know there was a coaching world that met the trauma world, two things yeah. I'm so passionate about. So um, I'm actually wrapping that up in the next month or so and then um, going to be working more intentionally with people, just navigating all types of trauma. I do work a lot with sexual betrayal and infertility, but I'm just passionate about helping people heal from trauma, whatever yeah. that is helping them sort of take their life back, recover their life, be able to feel whole again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you you know, I know you probably feel like you're very new at this, but it's just something that comes innate in you. I mean, I know from, from Christy in her conversations with you and she comes back and she's like, man, I just, you guys just sit for hours and you talk when you go to breakfast and stuff, right? We literally, yeah. I just feel like I can talk to her for hours. I just feel like it's just, it's just a safe space. And I think you do a really good job of drawing that out of people. And then you're, you're just masterful at being able to help them come to some discoveries and some aha moments where it's like, oh, wow, that really helped to shift critical junctures in their thinking and in their, in their life. And so I'm, 
I'm excited that you are a part of what is going on at Nothing Is Wasted and that you're beginning to really delve into something that brings a whole lot of purpose and redemption out, mm-hmm. of, out of you and Cameron's story and the pain that you guys have walked through. But it's it really, does. It's, cool. it's it's humbling to get to do this, and it's like everybody says on this podcast. We none of us would have chose this. We would have never mm-hmm. signed up for it. But at the same time, to feel even more equipped to mm-hmm. walk with people and see change happen is also yeah. like the coolest thing ever. So awesome. I'm humbled. I'm excited. I'm nervous, but I'm I'm I feel very ready for it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Chris is going to join us next week as well in our conversation with Juliana Goebel. Um, but I also I want to make sure that if you want the opportunity to work with Carissa or any of our certified coaches, you can go to nothingiswasted.com. Um, go to nothingiswasted.com slash coaching specifically if you want to look up coaching. And Carissa particularly is working with ladies in you know the area of sexual betrayal and infertility. Those are kind of her specialties. But she can work, it broadens beyond that, just trauma in general. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's really important. Community, church, family, right? there's so many, so many elements to our So story. many elements. And I, I think it's really important to find that right chemistry with a coach as well. And so, you know, if you feel really particularly drawn to Carissa in that, I want to encourage you to go and you can actually request, hey, I'd love to work with Carissa. No matter what your story is, you can request that and we'll make sure that we get, we get you matched with Carissa. Um you can go to nothingiswasted.com to find any of our resources. We are passionate about helping you partner with God to take back your story. And we have so many resources there available to you, whether it's the Pain of Purpose devotional or the course, whether it's the podcast, whether it's our Community Plus content that you can subscribe to. Whatever it is, we just want to help you as you're navigating this journey of trauma, of tragedy, of major life transition, any kind of pain or pressure that you're feeling in your life. And so make sure you make it a point to go there. Don't hesitate. Don't let today pass and say, well, maybe another time, maybe another time. No, today, let's start Let's start finding healing and wholeness today. And so nothingiswasted.com. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream his music anywhere you can download and stream music. I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Sam. You can follow Carissa at Carissa Sprinkle, Carissa right? Sprinkle. Really yep. simple. We keep it easy for you guys. Easy peasy. <laughs> At Carissa Sprinkle. Um, and we'll put a bunch of stuff in the show notes so you guys can, can get connected to the original podcast episodes where they shared their story and some other things as well. And um, I want to, yeah, go ahead, Carissa. You were about to say something. Oh, no. I'm just, thanks for letting me hop on and get to be a part Absolutely. of this. It's always a joy to be a part of Nothing Is Wasted. They played such a huge role in my story. So anytime to get to jump in and be a part of all of this, I just appreciate it. Well, I'm excited. We get to chat a little bit more next week. And so go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with Juliana Goebel. Oftentimes individuals with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder process everyday conversations the way you and I would when when there's a crackly phone com- connection and we can kind of like hang with what the person's saying, but we're not getting every single word. It's not crystal clear, but we're kind of getting the gist, but we can, we can miss things. And that okay. is often how um, my son experiences everyday conversations, which means- wow. He can seemingly hang and we're like, we're good, right? We're on the same page yep. um, until until there's something that's missed and then there's a volcano 
of, um, you know, of, of explosion, of, of exasperation, which I would be exasperated too. Um, you know, like I said before, I think what's hard is that except in a rare amount of very small cases, are there facial indications of in utero alcohol exposure? And so we're really looking at an invisible brain-based disability. 